0: Amen. Praise God. Church family, whether you're here with us in person or online, will you join us in prayer? Let's go before our Lord. Father, we are grateful. Our hearts are full because you have lavished us with your love. Jesus, we make your name great as we proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness because you have shown us your grace. And Holy Spirit, we ask that as we turn our hearts to your word, that you would help us receive what you have called us to hear and be challenged by and be comforted with this morning. Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts? Lord, would you silence those things that would distract us? That we would look intently on the beauty of of Jesus Christ and that we, as we gather for worship, will be transformed into the women, the men and the children that you have called us to be as we turn our hearts towards heaven and towards this hurting world with the message of hope that is found in Jesus and God's people saying, amen. You may be seated. It is time for God's word. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you open up to Exodus chapter 1. But to kind of whet the appetite a little bit, I want to make a clear statement as we embark on this new sermon series over the next two weeks called Real Love. I believe that every moment is infused with purpose and potential for great good. I believe that because God is intentionally glorifying himself in this world through his people. Desmond Tutu was interviewed by the BBC, and he tells a story about how a simple tip of the hat and stepping aside radically transformed his life. But while being interviewed by the BBC, they asked him that moment, they asked him this question, what, what was the most pivotal moment in your life, Desmond Tutu? And he shared a story about when he was a young boy of nine years old, walking down the path that he walked down many times with his mother. And as was the custom, unfortunately, of the day, whenever a black person in South Africa came and met a white person in the road, it was their responsibility to step to the side in the gutter and nod their head in sign of respect. But this day was different. They, they met a very tall man in a black suit. And in that moment, the white man, that man, steps aside and tipped his hat as a sign of respect to Desmond Tutu and his mother. And it is at that moment that radically transformed Desmond Tutu's destiny and the destiny of his country. You see, that man was a man named Trevor, and he was an Anglican priest in the neighborhood. And as they kept on walking after this um, seemingly simple exchange of respect, Desmond asked his mother, who was that man? And she said, oh, that's priest Trevor. That man is a man of God. And young Desmond, at that moment, made a decision. God is calling me. I want to be an Anglican priest just like that man. I want to be a man of God, like Pastor Trevor. You see, no moment is wasted. Every moment is an opportunity to recognize and honor the dignity of all people. And so as we start this sermon series, I want to anchor it to one biblical truth, and it's this, that real love honors the dignity of all people. And when I say the word all, I'm, I mean as all encompassing and inclusive as that word allows, which is everyone. You see, dignity is the recognition of value and worth. But where does the worth of the individual come from? Does it come from ourselves as we build up our self-esteem? Does, it, does the value, our worth, our dignity, does it come from our family as we're instructed by our, pa- our parents? Does it, does it come from our culture or does it come from the government? Where on earth do I get my worth, and my dignity. Well, the Bible is clear. It comes from our Creator. And our Creator has placed, as it were, His fingerprints upon us and in so doing, shares some of His attributes, His attributes of love, of kindness and goodness. And this is the source, and this is what the Bible means when it says that we are created in the image of God. And that is why Jesus says the greatest commandment is for us to love God and love other people. So when we recognize and show real love by validating the dignity of all people, we are actually loving God through the way we interact with, talk to, and treat other people. Therefore, we're called to honor the dignity of all people, men, women, and especially children. One day the Gospels teach us that Jesus was ministering and and a group of children wanted just to run up to Jesus, sit on his lap and give him a hug, and his disciples prevented them. They were rebuking the children, saying don't bother the rabbi as he teaches, but Jesus in return rebukes his disciples and prevents them from stopping the kids and they, their desire to sit on his lap. And he says, for such, these are the kingdom of God. Jesus' younger brother, James, would let her write in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27, that pure religion, that religion, true religion, when the church is at its best and, and in so pleasing God, Is when we care for orphans, widows, in their distress, that we visit them, that we look after them, and as a result, remain undefiled from the world. And so over the next two weeks, I want us to see that real love is shown by protecting and providing for the most vulnerable in our community, children in the womb and children in foster care. And so this morning, I want to focus our attention on protecting the first piece of that statement. Our call as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to protect children. And we're going to see that God raised up two amazing women to accomplish his purposes for Israel. If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord Now there rose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and he said to his people behold the people of Israel are, are too many and too mighty for us come let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and if war breaks out they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land Therefore, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities in Pitfum and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread over the people of Israel." So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Sifra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, uh, and see them on the birth stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, did not, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, and let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew strong. And because of the midwives and because they feared God, he gave them families. Then the Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The word of the Lord. As we catch and jump into the middle of the story, because this is in fact, even though it's the first chapter of Exodus, the middle of the story, because the Bible is meant meant, meant to be read as one story not as disconnected stories with different people, but one story of God's revealing his plan of, red- plan of redemption. And so the, the first word in Exodus, unlike what we read in our English translation, is the word and. Now, in the Hebrew, it's okay to start with the word and, and the writer does so to let you know this story that I'm about to tell you about God's deliverance of, of Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hands of Pharaoh, is just a continuation from the story of Genesis. And so the writer says that God greatly multiplied Israel while they were in Egypt. How much so? Well, as Joseph led his brothers at the tail end of Genesis into Egypt, so they would be preserved from the coming famine, they were 70 in number. Now, when the story picks up in Exodus, as we see the story leading up to, the, to them departing Egypt, they were six million in number. No wonder, the writer says, that God richly blessed Israel, and the clear expression of God's blessing was what? Children running around everywhere. Now, if we're honest... Our culture doesn't value children as much as we should. Many times we look at children as inconveniences or they frustrate us with their commands, and so it brings stress upon our lives. Now, we we don't openly share that, right? But if if you're a parent, you feel me, right? It's a struggle to raise kids. But what does the psalm say about children? important that we understand this. Psalms 127 verse 3 says that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Now, if you're a parent, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have kids, you're still part of this because you were a child. And when you came into this world, you brought joy to your parents because you are a reward For us parents, our children are a clear blessing from the Lord. So so in our relationship with God, his blessing is not to be counted by our finances, our resources, and our money. Those things are helpful. And, you know, hey, praise God when those things come. But according to God's word, the clear blessing from the Lord is the children that he gives us. And when I was a young father, 23 years old, when my wife and I had our first son, when I held him in my arms, I was a mess because two competing emotions were fighting in my my life. I mean, tremendous joy because of what we just shared, grateful for this son God preserved through a difficult pregnancy. But that emotion of gratitude and happiness was met with a high sense of stress and fear. I was like, how can I afford this child? Like financially, how can I afford to feed this child? Because we were broke, we were young, just did my bachelor's degree, starting my master's degree, working a full-time job that didn't pay enough. How, am I, how on earth am I going to afford health care for this child? Now, no matter how much fear that was going in me, one dominant view won the day. It was this. That my wife and I made a pledge that we are going to sacrifice our lives so that this little one would flourish. And that promise would be lived out day in and day out, the same for my other two children, because children are a blessing from God, but Pharaoh Pharaoh didn't view it that way. He viewed the children of Israel not as a blessing but a curse. And in so doing, developed a threefold plan of assault on Israel to strip them from their, of their dignity. First, he laid upon them work that was wearisome, full of burden, breaking their bodies. But notice what the writer says in verse 12. The more that Pharaoh oppressed them, the more God blessed them. It's like if I have a balloon in my hands and I fill it up halfway, tie off the end. If I squeeze one half of the balloon, what's going to happen to the other side of the balloon? The other half is going to fill up in the air. The air doesn't dissipate or disappear. It just shifts. And so Israel, under the hand of Pharaoh, was being squeezed and oppressed. But God, through his abundant mercy and grace, used that moment to lavish them with so much joy and so much happiness, even through the hardship. Now take a moment and pause and think about your life. If you're anything like me, the times that you've been most richly blessed by the Lord is when you've been going through times of oppression. How many times have you gone back, if you take the time to really look back and evaluate your life, you can see the hand of God moving in major ways in the midst of terrible circumstances. Raise your hand if you can say with me online, put the emoji up. If you can raise your hand with me and say that as you look back at your life, you can say, only by God did I get through it. Put the hands up. It's all of us. Because God uses even hardships and oppression, even the wickedness of man to display his glory. That is how our God operates. So this threefold plan was to lay burdens upon Israel to make them slaves. But when that didn't work, he moved towards a plan of executing infants in the moment of their birth. And as we're going to see next week, as we continue this narrative, when that didn't work, he called them to be executed by being thrown into the Nile. But why? Why would Pharaoh do this? When this nation was supporting his empire, was doing the hard work of building the infrastructure, why would he heap such hatred and wickedness upon them? Well, the text tells us, because he was a man who suffered from fear. Fear gripped him. It defined him. It caused him to do hateful things. You see, people of God, fear can make us too do wicked things. But the question is, what, we, what do we do with our fear? Well, William Gurnall, he's a 17th century Puritan writer, Wrote this sentence 600 years ago and is as true today as it was then, and is this We fear men so much because we fear God so little. So, Christian, follower of Jesus, we do not make decisions based by fear. We chase the fear out of our lives by. Clinging onto Christ and living by people as people of faith, and so we don't fear men, we don't fear circumstances, but rather review even opposition as an opportunity and a space and an arena that God will flood us with His blessing. This is the story of God's people. This is the story of Israel. This is a, this is our story as well. You see, real love protects. That's what real love does. To make this point, Moses tells us yes, Moses is the author of this book, Genesis, Exodus. And, and we don't hear Moses come into the narrative, na- na- the story yet, the narrative yet, because he's unborn. And so, Exodus, as it were, it's his autobiography. And what he wants to do is raise up and honor. The two women who stood up and faced down a Pharaoh, and because of their love and compassion, he was able to be born. Because they did not kill him on the birth stool, but they allowed him to come and to become the person that God would have him be, which is what? The very deliverer of God's people. So he tells us. He honors the name of these two women, these two heroes, Shifra and Puah. Their names in Hebrew means "beautiful one" and "splendid one." What appropriate names for their calling? Their calling were one of midwives, helping women bring go through the terrible circumstance of delivery and bring their babies into this world. What appropriate phrase when a child comes, when you hold your child in the fir- for the first time. It's, it's something beautiful and it's something splendid. But now Pharaoh is commanding them to reject their calling, to reject their own identity, to bring forth infanticide against their people. In essence, to reject God's blessing. What a dilemma. Because they knew if they defied the edict of Pharaoh, it meant that their necks were on the line. That Pharaoh would demand their life for their disobedience. They had a hard decision to make. Who will they obey, God or Pharaoh? Well, we're faced with the same dilemma today. We're faced with the same decision. Who will we obey? Obey. Will we obey fear? Or will we, be, will we be men and women and children of faith, trusting God even through the oppression? Elizabeth Elliott has been immensely helpful for me in my spiritual journey. I mean, she has so many words of wisdom and speaks very clearly to us. Sometimes it stings, but it's good for our souls. She writes about this Idea by saying this: does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future? If you're not obeying in, obeying in the thing that God that, that lies before you today, now think about the last thing you prayed for. It was probably something about your future, like something that's happening next week, that business meeting. or or that thing that you feel you need in your life, or that whatever that thing, but most of the time it's in the future. Well, she's saying, why are you praying about the future and asking God for guidance when in this very moment you're not obeying him in the clear thing that he's calling you to do? Then she asks us, how many momentous events in Scripture depended on one person's seemingly small act of obedience and she speaks some hope into our lives. Rest assured. Do what God tells you to do now and depend upon it and you will be shown what to do next. Now with all these thoughts in mind and these narratives and these biblical principles, I just want to spend the rest of our time making one simple but yet challenging connection for where we live and the culture that we live. We live in. Before we jump in, let's, let's ask the Psalms to guide us. Here David writes in Psalms 139, verses 13, 13 and 14, he writes, For you, God, for you, God, formed me in my inner parts. You formed my inner parts. You, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What is David talking about here? He's talking about his dignity. He's talking about his worth. He's saying, saying, God, I am a masterpiece. Not because I'm a great person or even a good person. David was a very bad person in many circumstances, if you read the biography of his life, which scripture doesn't hold anything back about David. Yet David looks back upon God and finds a source for praise. And it is in the fact that he found dignity while he was in his mother's womb. And that, that idea and that concept on the table, we must make a clear declaration of God's people. And that is the life of a child in the womb is sacred. It has dignity. It has worth. It is infused with potential, with purpose. And as followers of Jesus, as imperfect followers of Jesus, we must hold this idea sacred, the dignity of all life, including the life in the womb. I know different people have different circumstances and fall on different sides of the aisle and different approaches on this. But one thing is clear, that life begins at conception. That God says that he has knit us together in our mother's womb. And, And notice notice my tone and notice my posture. I'm not coming braggadocious, We're demanding, or with judgment. I'm speaking with respect because this is sacred ground and a sacred dialogue. But the reality is we must speak truth. But as we speak it, we must do it the way Jesus has taught us to do it. And we do so with love. Because this is not simply a, a social principle to be applied. This is the very nature in which we honor God and honor his creation and even science tells us that at conception the baby has all the dna it needs at the moment of conception that would lay out the course the physical course of its life and we must honor the dignity of that baby's life even if it costs us greatly see the reality is i think even though i i might you might say i i Came from a fetus, but is that really true? It is more proper and true to say that I once was a fetus. Didn't come from a baby, didn't come from a toddler, didn't come from a teenager. I once was those things. So these scientific terms, we can use them. But we must have a biblical understanding and scientific understanding because all truth is God's truth. And therefore, we must do what it takes and show real love, even if it means putting ourselves on the line. And this is what Sifra and Pua teach us. They refused the wicked edict and command of the Pharaoh, and they refused to take part an infanticide. But notice the call from this story here. It's not simply just to believe an idea, but to live consistently with all its clear implications. We are called to protect life and protect the mothers and the fathers who are facing challenging, because yes, we must pause on the other side of this narrative and this debate are people who are struggling. Many people who are wrestling with this decision, life or death, and they're saying to me, you know, saying to us, and they're saying to the world, no, I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. And I need to make a decision. But there's so much I need, so, so, so much questions I have. So many things I lack. If we are going to speak the truth to this topic, we must also show love to the people that are there facing this dilemma. I want to share with you Carol's story. Just for a few moments, Carol's story is that she was a member here at Spanish River Church. She heard this message. She was wrestling with these ideas, hearing from culture, hearing from God's word, and God called her to to step up as a midwife to step in the gap and help people who are finding themselves in this unfortunate circumstance and in this unfortunate debate let's just hear carol's story as we wrap up our time together
1: so I grew up in the era of uh, equal rights amendments, uh, women's equal rights and lots of things on that. And of course the abortion issue started coming up. And so I had a lot of things in my background and, and I remember the abortion issue sort of came up in my head. I said, I don't need to worry about that. I don't understand what I'm, what's going on, but I don't need to worry about that because I've already had my kids and I'm it's okay. I'm not gonna worry about that. But anyway, that was in my mind and we went on. and But then also later, We went to uh, we were invited, and we went with a number of people from the church down to um, church down in um, Fort Lauderdale. And Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Francis Schaefer, was there, but he was there speaking on um, the issue of pro-life. And I said. And I started to cry, and I got in the car, and we started to ride home, Ross and I. And I said, Ross, I said, it's all around us, and what are, what can we do? And and I'm I am a doer person, but he said, I don't know, Carol, but but we'll ask the Lord if that. If we I understand. He said, I'll ask. We'll ask the Lord what He wants us to do in that instance. And then um, I kept hearing all these things on the radio about, you know, pro life and abortion, and just like God kept challenging me. But some reason I walked into David Nicholas's office one day and then Nori, wa- Nori walks in. She said, Carol Walters, David and I have just been talking about you and Ross. There were some folks who just who came down recently from uh, Washington and they wanted to know if there were any people here wanted to start some type of pro-life work. And we thought of you and Ross. I said, Nori, I can't believe you're saying this because this has been on my heart now for numbers and numbers of weeks. And so from that time on, we got connected with the group from Washington. They helped us start some uh, gatherings and then to seek some support from some people and volunteers and churches. And uh, we even had... um, financial support, and even we had a, a place that the church provided that was a youth building so we could be on the second floor to start our Crisis Pregnancy Center right here in Boca. And the Crisis Pregnancy Center, which eventually became, um, it's became first care from others, uh, we combined some other pregnancy centers in the area. Let me tell you about the most joyous things that uh, in these, this work that we do is uh, seeing the lives changed there was this precious young woman who came to us she already had a child in foster care by another man she was pregnant and the reason her daughter was in foster care was because she had been in prison or had been taken because of heroin addiction and so she was doing well she'd been somewhat through the rehab but she knew, she said, oh, Carol, Ms. Walter. she said, I can't go through this pregnancy. I, I got to get my life together. And she really, she, ha- she had such a touched heart. She said, well, I don't really want to. I know this is a baby. I've been through a pregnancy. I know, I, I don't really want to do this, but I don't have any choice. I have no place to live. I'm living with my boyfriend in a car, and he's an alcoholic. And so she went to the maternity home. And while she was there, she heard the gospel again and again and she came to know the Lord. Her life was changed. She came back to the area. She had her baby, she came back. And so we had such a relationship built and she and her boyfriend who then became the husband walked with the Lord. And so what a blessing to not only save a child from abortion, but to see her and her, her new, her, the father of the child come to know the Lord through this possible ministry. Just as the scriptures say that God had a plan and a purpose for my life, He had a plan and purpose for your life, we want to help you provide an opportunity for this child growing within you to have a full and wonderful life.
0: Since its founding, 13,500 mothers have chosen life for their baby through first care. God is doing some amazing work. But as we think through this and wrestle with this, leave with this idea and this concept, that we're called to believe the truth and speak the truth, but never divorce from love. We do a great disservice For the kingdom of God, when we speak and not back it up with tangible acts of love and service. And so, as we speak, may our words be bathed with love because there are real people on the other side. People who are hurting, who are lost, they need a savior. We were hurting, we were lost. And it is in our fallenness and our brokenness that our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, came to us and restored us. And so let us be known by our humility, our truth, but our mercy. Our strength, because we walk with a mighty God, but willing to confess our weakness. Because we live in a culture that needs hope that are looking in all the wrong places for it. But it's found in Jesus and it's freely offered in him. This is part of your story. I just want to be clear. We don't judge you. We love you. We want you to flourish. We want you to be all who God has called you to be, even all that he established in your mother's room before you were born, because you have worth, you have value, you have dignity. And even though there is another Pharaoh who still looms and seeks to gain power, to rule by fear, and that Pharaoh is sin. Sin creeps into our lives and separates us from a loving relationship with God. It takes us into dark places. It guides us into wickedness. And there's no amount of good works that we can do to earn our way back into a right relationship with the God who gave us our dignity. But the good news is that we don't have to. And the God who loves us does not expect us to. But through his son, Jesus Christ, coming being born into the in the womb of a virgin who was married dealing with a crisis pregnancy though betrothed not married suffering the shame from her culture she knew life was in her womb and that child in her womb would one day become a man who would teach us the righteousness of god and show us the goodness of heaven, God's kindness, love, and goodness. And on that day, he was rejected by Israel. He was brought through a trial that was unjust, and he was oppressed for our behalf. He was crushed for our iniquity. And Jesus went to the cross, and the Father, knowing everything about us, The good, the bad, and the ugly took our sin, our shame, our hurt, and placed it upon Jesus. And Jesus was willing to take that. God took his wrath, removes it from us, and placed it upon his son Jesus. And Jesus, being who he was, being God himself, was willing and able to take that wrath, even to the point of death even death on a cross. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, three days later, he rose again from the dead to show us the power of his glory. To show us that we, through his resurrection, can have life. And he tells us simply to trust him. And so as we bring this sermon to a close, my call upon you is to trust in this Jesus who loves you, who is kind to you, who is good to you, and wants to restore your dignity to you because he loves you so.